everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Happiness and Humans. My name is Matt Phelan and I'm here with the amazing Justin Cochran. How are you, Justin? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm not quite sure that I'm amazing, but I don't mind that intro. <laughs> How was your walk this morning? I hear, yeah, I hear from what's happening yeah, on there. I'd like to go on a little walk just to clear the head and think about what I've got to do for the day. And yeah, it was, it was nice. The sun's out, which is nice. Hopefully it's the start of some better weather. I don't want to start off with a football cliche already, but it feels like this year is going to be a year of two halves, doesn't it? Oh, Matt, come on, you're better than that. Hopefully hopefully it will be. <laughs> We're going to try and talk about coaching today more than, than my really bad football analogies, but I'm sure we'll, 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 as both football fans, I'm sure we'll pop into it. The only thing that's banned is we can't talk about Tottenham today because okay. that will just make me unhappy. All right. So how do I mention one of my, my previous role? Am I allowed to mention my previous role at Tottenham? Only if you refer to it as <laughs> the best team in North London. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> um, Justin, um, please introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. My name is Justin Cochran. I'm the head coach of England under-17s and the, the, the lead phase. What that means is I'm responsible for the men's under-17 national team or playing football and responsible also for overseeing the under-15s and under-16s programme at the National FA. So, Justin, just a couple of technical questions um, uh, on, on, on the football bit before we get into the main questions. Gareth Southgate talks a lot and has promoted a lot of people and he's done youth roles before. Does that make a difference to the players, knowing that there, there could be a path through or is that all PR stuff? No, Gareth is, without doubt, the best person to lead the team into the next uh, tournament. In Steve Holland, he's got the best number two in this, this country's produced, potentially. Uh, in, in recent history, he's won tournaments and trophies and he was very successful at Chelsea. So I do think that both their experience of working at senior end and in through youth levels uh, with the national teams gives us the best people in charge to take the team forward. And as you've seen, everybody's seen, there's been so many young players given opportunities to play for England and to serve in NISA. And do your players ever mention it, Justin? Do they ever mention the fact that there's a pathway for them or is it? are they so focused on their, what's in front of them? I think they're really aware. I think we make them aware. It's hard not to be aware of the young players. Some of them are their friends. Some of the 17-year-olds are friends with the 20-year-old and with Gareth. They can see that the pathway is there for the young players. I think it's across all the top academies at the moment. Yeah, There seems to be some more opportunities and I do think players know that if they can get into the Premier League and play regularly as a young English player, you've got a good chance of being uh, selected for England if you're consistent yeah. and you play well. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. And the, the question we have to ask, always kick off with, is what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Wow. So lots of different things make me happy. Primarily family. So like seeing my wife and kids happy and content and smiling makes me happy. I love football, Matt. I really do. I love football. If you cut me open, you'd see it, there'd be a ball inside me. Yeah. Um, the football coaching, uh, coaching people and coaching football makes me happy. And then generally, if I was to, it's just helping other people. I think I get a sense of fulfillment of, of seeing people improve and develop. And I've had that since my first coaching role that I kind of created for myself when I was 17. On that, on, when you say created for yourself, I've got another question on that because that seems to be a theme in your life. But what do you mean? <laughs> What do you mean by creative for yourself? Okay, when I was 17, I grew up in, in North in North London, a place called Edmonton, which isn't far from where we are now. And 
the, the, there was a man who, who had a dry cleaners at the bottom of our road and he wanted to start a team because his son couldn't get in the local team. So he, him and his other friend who, who, who was into property and business, he, they started a team and they said, would you like to be the coach? Well, we started a team together and the team was called Western Boys. So at yeah. 17, a, me and a friend of mine, Tim Zobo, we were the head coaches of this under 10s team in our local area when we joined the league. 17 years old. 17 years old, we were both 17. We trained once at Brumfield Park and once at Power League in, in uh, Muswell Hill. Yeah. So, four or six. so we trained there and we had a team. We had that team for three years until after that, I, I, I got signed by Crow Alexandra and moved up north and the team continued, but uh, under different coaches. But it was my first introduction into coaching before I actually turned professional. Wow. So before we get into the, the coaching part, the, you've created a, an opportunity there for yourself. And I was listening, for anyone who wants to know about Justin's football career, because this is about the coaching bit, go to, it's a pod, I think it's a, a, a crew I was under called The Railway Men. Is that their nickname? Yeah, The Railway Men podcast. Yeah, if you, yeah, I did that recently. It was good fun. So check, to find The Railway Men podcast and you hear Justin talk about his career. But there was one significant bit in it. I'm only halfway through it so far. Yes. Um, but there's a bit about when um, I, I think you were suspended, um, oh, whatever, okay. game, and then how you met a coach, how you met the scout. I'd love you to tell that. Yeah, story. I'll give you a bit of context. So I was I was a young player at QPR up until from 12 till 20. I got released, and when you get released, it's almost like where'd you go next? So I signed for a team called Hayes in the Ryman Premier at the time, which is like the seventh tier of English football. And you you train Tuesday, Thursday evenings, and you play on a Saturday. In, in matches and sometimes you play on a Tuesday evening as well. So the game was around about near Christmas time and I was actually suspended from getting five yellow cards. So I had a choice to go to the game or the manager said, you can stay at home, you don't need to come. But I said, no, I wanted to go and support the team. So the game was at St Albans away. And I went to St Albans where I sat down and I was there a bit early and a person sat down probably six seats to my right. And there wasn't that many supporters at the ground that day. And I looked up and he, he he was he, he had a big these big coats and traditionally scouts wear these big coats years ago you'd be able to notice a scout said these like big winter coats and they looked a certain way etc etc but the, the the jacket had crew alexandra on it and i was like oh he's a scout so i asked him i said excuse me are you a scout and he said yes i'm a scout i said who are you here to i said are you here to watch me and he said no i'm here to watch someone for st albans i said to him well you should be watching me i'm the best player in this team he said well you're not even on the pitch I said, yeah, I'm suspended for five yellow cards. Anyway, we spoke throughout the half, and he was a, a, a really pleasant man. His name was Bill Berry, God rest his soul. He, he died the year after I signed for crew. But he said to me, okay, well, you seem like you're a good player, and I like your assertiveness. Send me your fixtures. So I had to post him a letter with my fixtures, and then he agreed to come to watch my game against Enfield, which was with Pan at home. But my dad had to pick him up from King's Cross. So he got the train down from Peterborough. My dad picked him up from King's Cross. Your I drove. Dad, wait a minute. Your dad picked up the scout. My dad had to pick the scout up from King's Cross Station. Yeah, to bring him to the game. I wish so there was he... a recording of that of their conversation because he must have been in his ear all the way. Must have been. Yeah, it's bizarre when I think about it now. Yeah. So and after the game, he said one thing. I scored. We won one 0 and I scored a penalty. And he said first, everyone goes to the bar after the game there as well. Like everyone went in the bar, and um, he said pull your socks up and tuck your shirt in when you play. I was like, so I was taken aback. I was like, okay. And then anyway, cut a long story short, he watched me four or five more times and then he recommended me to, to Crow Alexandra. I went on trial to Crow Alexandra, then got signed. And it was a fantastic story. And I guess 
what I learned from that is about being assertive in the moment and just really taking that opportunity. Because if I didn't take that opportunity, then I really don't know what I might be doing now, Matt, if I'm really honest. Yeah. We're playing football at some, at some level, but I don't, it might just be grassroots. Who yeah. knows? I just, the reason I think it's such a powerful story, Justin, for everyone listening is that there are record numbers of people that were in your situation where you've been released by QPR. There's a lot of people being made redundant. And it was the fact that you just took that moment. And I know we're in a world where we're all on Zoom and we can't see each other, but there's moments where someone can add someone on LinkedIn or drop someone a message on Twitter. And I think that story for anyone who's lost their job is is yeah. a really powerful, really powerful story. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll share another quick story as well. My dad always said to me, the worst thing they can say is no. So that was yeah. just almost my thing. It was just they don't want it or you don't want to say no. But also when I was towards the end of my career, not the end because it wasn't particularly long, but I was 28 and I was doing my coaching badges while I, was, I went back to Hayes. So I played as a professional for six years. I went back to Hayes and Yedin, it was now called at the time. And they were in the, the, the conference or the National League, which is the fifth year. On the coaching course that I was on, the UEFA B, Kieran McKenna was on it, who's now the assistant coach at Manchester United. Yeah. And I didn't know Kieran, but I knew he was a young player at Tottenham who'd had a bad injury. And Paul Davis, who was one of my heroes growing up, yeah. was the, the tutor. So I said to Paul, can you speak to anybody you know at Arsenal to give me a job? Anyone. I'll do any job there, any job at Arsenal in the coaching. I just want to observe. I'll do anything. Just speak to Arsenal yeah. for me. And I said to Kieran, Kieran, you're at Tottenham. I live in North London. Speak to anybody at Tottenham and see if you can get me a job. I'm a good coach. I'm still playing. They don't have to pay me. I'll come in. And Kieran got me an interview with the with John McDermott, who's now the technical director of the FA. And I went for an interview and I got made the under-11 coach at Tottenham. So once again, that assertiveness probably six years or seven years later, age 28, because the first time when I was in Auburn, I was probably 21. Um that got me an interview with Spurs, which then got me the job at Spurs. I worked at Spurs for nearly nine seasons, working with the under 11s, the 12s, the 14s, the 16s for five years, and then also assisting the under 23s, as well as being assistant head of player and coach development. So I think assertiveness, Matt, has followed me wherever I've been. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And is that, is that something that you've always had, like that confidence? Like you're going up to someone saying, I'm the best player in the team. Or do you think that was, was that driven through your dad or your parents? Where is that just naturally in you? I wasn't actually the best player in the team as well. It's just, it's just <laughs> taking opportunity. There's players yeah. better than me at the time. Like I, I just, I just, I think it was just a connecting with a person. Like we had, yeah. it was just like the boldness. I thought like just boldness and assertiveness. Yes, I had self-belief. Yes, I backed myself. But it's almost like I was comfortable stepping in the unknown. I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Um, so that's a really useful story on, on getting an opportunity. One thing that there'd be a lot of people here, um, Justin, that want to know is like younger people coming into the workplace. Yeah. You're obviously dealing with the next generation of footballers. And what I'm, what, what I'm not sure about at the moment is whether... You just get old and you think that everyone young is like just got loads of opportunities and they don't care and they don't want to work hard. Because I remember watching a film of these kids in the 50s and they're all like moaning about their parents and so on. And whether this is just a generational thing. Yeah. So now that you work with these with, with, with this generation, do you think the, the kids that are like, I don't know, teenagers now, are they really different or do we just get old and we're like, oh, bloody youngsters? Like, is there a real difference there? 
It's a really good question. What I do know is that every generation would be saying the same thing. You get that back in my day, it weren't yeah. like we did this, we were down pit. And we went, <laughs> yeah. it's, everyone has that. I think we're on Generation Z now. I do think things have changed. I do think the young people are different. I think social media technology in particular over the last 20, 30 years had an impact. There's different ways of communicating. Uh, the young people are different. And we we change, don't we? We change as well as adults as we go through different cycles and times in our, our life. But yeah, I do, I do think this generation now, when when I when I think about coaching them, command and control is definitely gone, in my opinion. Yeah. Being yeah. able to go from the rooftops, do this, do that. Now I think people say why or no, or that's yeah. not fair, or you get a, the correct behaviour will be will, incorrect behaviour will be pulled up. Whereas maybe years ago, it, people may have turned a blind eye. So I think, but still at the same time, skills in communication are what are what key with young people. I think. This nowadays and understanding understanding and being able to adapt to difference. I think not a lot of people are able to understand difference. Do you adapt do you adapt your coaching style from player to player then? Or yeah, but a, yeah we're all human, aren't we? We're all different. It's, we, we don't, we're not all cut out of the same cloth. So you have yeah. to. You have to have the, the tool set, you have to have the skills in communicating, in building rapport, in understanding, in noticing and observing. And in listening in particular, you can learn a lot from listening and observing and noticing stuff. And I think they're the things that I try to be good at in, in understanding young people, recognising what makes them tick, building rapport, building relationships, but not quite friendships in football because I'm not trying to be a 13-year-old's friend, but we can have a relationship or a 15-year-old and it, the relationship where he respects me as the coach and I respect him as the, as, as the young player. And knowing that we're trying to work, I'm trying to help them on their journey of becoming a, a young professional. Um, Justin, one of the we had someone on the podcast series before who's an expert in feedback, and they they've done an analysis that the right ratio of positive to negative feedback is about is about three to one. So three bits of positive to one bit of constructive. Yeah. Um, what's it like giving um, a, a a young superstar potentially feedback? Is, that, is it tough or do you, do you is part of the job? Well, I'm not an expert in anything. So I wouldn't have the the, the, the data or the research or the, the, I don't think there's a one size fits all. I don't think you can go into the brochure, the pamphlet or the PDF and say, do this or do that with, with anything yeah. in particular. I think when you're working with young people and in, in particular, that you, you've got to be able to sense the situation and sense who they are and what they're capable of. So with a young player in particular, I might just be, it might not be negative, but it might be a challenge. So I don't know if I'm saying, if I say to you, Matt, you need to score more goals, is that positive, is that negative, or is that just a challenge? So I think yeah. it's understanding all the scenarios and using emotional intelligence, using self-awareness, using using your communication and your relationship with the person that you might have already to help you decide what's what what's best. You said an interesting thing there, Justin. You said the relationship you already have with the person. Yeah. Do you do you make an effort to build a relationship with your with with your team then? Yeah, that's number one. I think, Matt. I think before any sort of feedback, criticism, you need to have a relationship. You need to understand. You can't just knock down the door and just just have relate. I think rapport is key. You know, in football, they need to believe you. So we knew we do know that. You, Perceived expertise gets you believed a bit better. And then 
building relationships does. So if Steven Gerrard comes to you and says, this is how you hit the ball 70 yards, and I come and say to you, this is how you hit the ball 70 yards, you're likely to believe Steven more than you believe me, rightly so. But I think with young players, you need to show them, you need to show them, oh, can you hear the kids? I can hear your young players. <laughs> we, we. Sorry. That's not a problem, yeah. Justin. We're all dealing with it. Report, yeah. So, sorry, what was the question, Matt? Let's go back. So it was around you were you were saying like if Steven Gerrard is teaching you how to yeah. get ball as you perceived expertise versus relationships yeah. type stuff. Yeah, so perceived expertise and then being able to relate to the person. So if you feel if I feel like I can relate to you and I can connect to you, you will then believe me and then and I'll then have to show you how to help you. Yeah. What young players are good at working out is there's lots of coaches who can build a relationship but then they don't have the substance. So they may have the relationship, but they think, oh, that was good, yeah, I'm getting, but then they don't then have the the hard skills in to help the young player. So this is, I might yeah. be going a little bit off track. I hope you're with me, but no, no, totally. Yeah, yeah so it's just about it's that both so perceived so expertise in an area and then that relationship piece. But yeah. when I mean relationship, it's not. It, it, I don't know how to define what that relationship is because I don't think it exists in a in a in, in a book. I couldn't tell you how to build a relationship straight away. There's some some, some little things you can try. But I think everybody yeah. does it differently. Yeah, no, I think why, why that's fascinating is in the, the people who are listening in the world of like traditional work, office work and so on, they took the, the trenders talk about T-shaped people. So it's a mix of relationships and expertise. So yes. it's, exactly, it's exactly what you're talking about. And if we if we go back to the happiness index data, the number one thing that helps people be happy and we know happiness leads to performance is relationships yeah. with their colleagues. Yeah. So you're obviously you're intuitively following what is important to go through to performance so it's just fascinating to hear it from a football perspective yeah um, the next question is about what you've learned justin so i mean your your coaching career goes back way further than i thought because yeah. you're saying seven so i'm actually asking you what have you learned from coaching human beings but that goes back m longer than most person people of your age so i mean what have you learned in that period from coaching human beings I've learned so much. So I think in football in particular, like, so the first thing I'm a sum of all my experiences. So I've been fortunate enough to be around some fantastic coaches since my PE teacher at Elwood School in North London to the, my district teacher to all the, all the different coaches I've had. So I've been able, what I've been pretty good at is absorbing from them and learning from them. Um, but when it comes to, to, to coaching, when I think of coaching, you mentioned it, there's a difference to me between like session design and coaching. Yeah. So doing a session and coaching is two different things. Like coaching football and coaching people is two different things. So yeah. I think a lot of people coach football, but not coach people. So they can put the cones in a straight line and anyone can be a coach. You could, you could go on YouTube now and get six or seven different sessions and, and put the session on. It doesn't mean you're coaching. You put yeah. it on the session. So it's just, I've always had that idea in my head. Are you coaching football? Are you coaching people? And I suppose the people listening in their, their in different industries, all that basically is, are you, is it, are you, are you just, is it these numbers you're trying to get? Is it these uh, department targets or is it, are you impacting the, the person actually doing that role? And that's why we yeah. link that, that flat pack coaching idea where you can go to, you can go on the YouTube and get the session ideas and do that. It's like someone said to me the other day about it, and I was just said, "Well, if I get all Pep Guardiola's sessions, do you think my team will play like Man City?" <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's, that's just his sessions. 
So yeah. I know you've got sessions, but it's it's the coaching of the people. It's the it's the dissecting of the information. It's the motivating. It's the inspiring. It's the it's the connection. It's the rapport. It's the getting the person to work a little bit smarter or harder. It's the leadership element of it. And I think flat pack coaching is basically picking up a session off the shelf, but coaching people and coaching is actually how you interact with that person. So when people yeah. ask me, what's your philosophy? I always say to them, because that's a common thing in football at the moment, what's your philosophy? I said, what philosophy? My football philosophy or my coaching philosophy? So if I talk about my football philosophy, it's based primarily around how I'd like the team to play in an ideal scenario. Yeah. If you talk about my coaching philosophy, it's how I'll interact with the people trying to, who are going to play that style. And it's totally different, you know, and there's been some brilliant experts in coaching who might not be experts to um, the people who do love football. That's so fascinating. It, absolutely. I was laughing because I was imagining our dad's five-a-side team and you trying to <laughs> try to coach us into the, <laughs> into turning us into Man City and the result of what that would be. <laughs> yeah, like. imagine that. I thought, like, <laughs> really think that, yeah, oh, Josh, can you just send me that session? I can send you my session, but my sessions yeah. are pretty basic. I thought you've got more sessions than me, but... Uh, what I back myself is being able to get the best out of Matt and to get you to yeah. score more goals in that tournament next time you play Matt. Yeah, I will. I'll be there. Don't worry, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I do like. Let's let's get into that more. I love this. Um, I love this concept of avoiding flat pack coaching. And and like I said, Justin, you need to write a book on it because oh, I, think <laughs> I think that's bigger than football because that is that 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 is the essence of life, isn't it? Which is you are. You're you're adapting, and you're not just going down one approach. Yeah. Um, what is that? What's that like on on a, on a day to day? How do you how do you avoid flat pack coaching on a day to day? Okay, I might take it a little bit. Come back to this question if I take it a little bit. Yeah. East because I just thought of something. So during my football career, I played. I lived in London at times. I lived in Somerset. I played for Yeovil. I lived in Yorkshire. I played for Rotherham. I lived in South Cheshire. And I played for Crewe. And my experiences of living in all these different parts of England really shaped how I interacted with people. I learned different things in different areas. Yeah. And I felt like that really helped me when it comes to coaching, especially with the national team, because yes, I'm from London and I'm a Londoner, but I could, I could, I could understand someone who's from up north. I could understand Yorkshire. I could connect with that person in the elements of conversation. I could talk about living in, in, in Yorkshire. I know oh, Yorkshire. Yeah. I'm going to different parts of Yorkshire and seeing different parts. I could talk about, living in South Cheshire, I can talk about living in Somerset. And I just, I felt like in the moments, it enabled me to, to connect with, with different people and talk about different experiences. So I think yeah. that shaped me in terms of how I then continued my coaching journey um, outside of this like, flat pack coaching idea. So the flat pack coaching, like we said, is just about, is, is the hard skills, but I really zoned in on the soft skills but still focused developing the hard stuff. And yeah. we talk about uh, a, a person called Nick Cox, who's a fantastic guy, he's head of the academy at Manchester United. He said something to me the other day, and he said, um, you've got a lot of people that are concerned with the vehicle and not the passengers. And that really yeah. struck the chord of me. So with the, with football, so, okay, we play 4-4-2, we need to get it down, we need to pass it here, we need to make sure the set pieces are right, we need to defend low here, we need to press high in this situation. But we, in development football, the whole team's not going to play for Manchester United. So you're saying that, we, yes, you have to focus on the vehicle, the team structure, the team organisation, the objectives, the goals, but the passengers are more important. It's really important we get Marcus Rashford 
into the first team at some stage. Really important we get Mason Greenwood in, and we've got to make sure in development in the football context is that you're focusing on the individuals who can play within a team concept, who can then push on and play in the first team. And that's ultimately what people are trying to do in, in development football. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, we talk about a lot of the importance of vision as well. It's like where you want to go and, and what you're going to do and the, and the style. And the, do, do you talk about vision about like where, like the future and, and stuff like that? Or is it focused on the day to day? No, we want to win the World Cup. Yeah, we want to win the World Cup and win the European Championships. Yeah, and we know by doing that, of course, there's vision, there's strategy, there's a tactics element to it, and that gets filtered down. And like I said at the beginning, Gareth's in the, in the great position, and the people at the FA, it's clear what we're trying to do. We know it doesn't happen overnight, and we want sustained success after that. So that involves the whole of English football. That involves from grassroots. That involves the academies. That involves the the coaches who the the parents who take teams them being doing the qualification, understanding both football, coaching football and coaching people. So yeah. I do think vision's always part of it. At Tottenham, at the time, they wanted players to be in the first team. The, the chairman insisted that he wanted players from the youth to be in the, to, to, to get into the first team. So our remit working in the academy was how many players can we get get through into, into to Maurizio at the time? And it was, that was the job. That was what what drove that what drove me. I get a sense of fulfilment from helping young people. So if I I saw Jeff at Tanganga as a ten year old, signed it. I was involved when he signed, and then seeing him in two thousand and ten, and then seeing it or two thousand nine even, and seeing him in Tottenham's first team last season was just like wow, fantastic. For me. That was me seeing the whole journey. That's why I get my sense of fulfilment. But the vision piece is is apparent in football, like it will be in all the the companies and the people that are listening to this call. Yeah, it's amazing to hear. And into the last couple of questions, Justin, which is, yeah. um, you shared a couple of it already, but what would you say has been the biggest challenge in your career so far? And the biggest challenge for me is when I went from being an age group coach to actually leading a department. So I led the almost the secondary school age children at Tottenham, so the under 12s to under 16s. And I worked with a person called Gary Broadhurst, who's fantastic, who worked with the, almost like the sevens to elevens. Yeah. So he had his department really well organized, well run. And I was a little bit probably like just a bit of a coach, just, you know, go in here. And then the department, the the, the, the 17s to 23s were well run. And I had this, this bit in between, which was really important. I wasn't, as a leader, I probably wasn't under, didn't understand how to lead maybe other members of staff. I was always pretty good at building relationships with the players, but leading the department, that was a bit of a challenge for me, but I, I got, at the time, I actually did a degree. I studied leadership and management with the Open University and did a degree at that sort of time as well. So that really helped me. Studying at that time really helped me understand about managing people, managing staff, managing motivation, change initiatives, um, how to implement change. So that really helped the leading aspect of, of, of my role uh, when I became a lead in a department and then head assistant head of player and coach development. And in that time, we're, I had it's only just popped into my head. But as a as a Spurs fan, Justin, were you there at the time of obviously Ugo Ekiol passed away? Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. So, so Ugo came with so when Ugo Ugo worked with me. Yeah, Ugo worked with me part time. He did, yeah. he just came in. I got him in. I got him to come in. Well, Chris Ramsey got him to come in, and he was not shadowing me because he's a legend. But he worked alongside me for a year. I then persuaded John to give him a job. He then yeah. got a job as a part time coach. And then John promoted him to the under-23s coach, rightly so. And what Ugo was, Ugo uh, epitomised 
coaching people. Yeah. Because I'll be honest with you and I'll be honest with everybody, his skill set wasn't in session design. It wasn't in setting up the sessions. But what Ugo did is he spoke with Josh Onomo. He got the best out of Josh Onomo. He got the best out of Kyle Walker-Peters. He influenced yeah. Harry Winks. He influenced Jaffa Tanganga. He had a massive influence. It was almost like a big father figure. Yeah. The club. It was a brilliant appointment by John McDermott. And yeah, Ugo, he's just a great guy. It's so sad losing him. Yeah. Uh, he's just, just a great guy. And he epitomised everything about people. I'll give you a quick story. So because he came in as my like assistant, he yeah. got appointed as my part-time assistant. Then within a year, he got promoted to the under-23s. So, yeah. So I've been at the club for five years. And he, he, so a lot of people would have said, oh, Just, why hadn't you gone to be the head coach of the under-23s? Yeah. I was thinking, oh, God, I've missed my chance here. Yeah? How's John the promoted Ugo? But I loved Ugo, so it didn't matter. But Ugo, we met in Costa Coffee in Muzzle Hill. He said, I'll take you out for coffee. And he actually told me the day, he said, Just, before and he said, John's going to ask me to be the under-23s coach. I know that might have been some of your aspirations. I just wanted yeah. to let you know. And that was just a measure of the man. He didn't have to take me out for lunch. I said, Ugo, you've played four, 500 Premier League games. You're far more equipped than me. But just yeah. the fact that he took me out that day to the restaurant, to have a coffee, to have some, a bite to eat and a coffee, just a measure of the man. And he's definitely yeah. someone that, when I, you mentioned that now, really epitomised being that, that, that connecting with people. Yeah, because I when because when I think when you how you describe like from a work perspective the technical there's you got technical aspects and you've got human aspects yes even my team I'm at the happiness index I'm definitely more down the Ugo Ekio route in the fact that I don't actually know how to do anything other than than, yeah. than help help the team but what the, the reason I was asking is actually I was thinking about younger players and grief and stuff like that and relationships did did you have to did you have to do many sessions speaking to people like these, these young kids? Like they must have been looking yeah. up to you going, this happens. Like, I yeah. mean, this workplaces across the country, doesn't it? But um, the, club, the club were fantastic. The club were fantastic. We had grief counselors in, we had access to them. All the players were spoken to. The club's aftercare and welfare service was absolutely outstanding. I must say at yeah. the time, so it was hard. I was in bits. I was, it was just, it hit us, you know, he, he died at the training gap. Um, yeah. Or, or he had a heart attack at the training ground, so cardiac arrest. So, it, it, but the club were fantastic with handling. John McDermott, in particular, was outstanding. The manager, Mauricio, was brilliant. He took everybody out for dinner. Like it's just so many things happened at that time. I thought, wow, like the, the human element, the human skills, the compassion, the care was really there. Um, yeah. yeah, and then just back to that technical and the hard and soft stuff. So yeah, I do. By the way, I'm not saying that there's not there's not there's no place for strategy or organisation or you know it's not just hairy fairy we just turn up and work it out. I do think there's elements of strategy required, the hard skills are required, and you need different people in your organisation to deliver yeah. different aspects. Some football coaches are not brilliant at connecting with the young players, but they still have a role as being a top coach. Yeah, you know, their, their, their skills might not be connecting, but they might be maybe coaching football. But then maybe yeah. if you have the right mix in in your staffing group, you can still achieve the right outcomes. And that's that that's the same whether it's football or business, isn't it? Of course, it is, yeah. Team of different people, different skill set. And I, but I also think it's important to acknowledge your weaknesses and your strengths. Like yeah. we have a lady called Jackie Dial. Well, I didn't even realise there was a there was you could take um, a degree in project management. Okay. And I'll tell you now, if if we hadn't have hired Jackie, some of our biggest client rollouts would have been a disaster if I'd been managing yeah. it. Um, so, but, but we know what, we all know what, she, what we're good at, her weaknesses and strengths and, and, but, but by admitting it allows you to bring in other people, doesn't it? 
yeah, I just think that's just, yeah, knowing where your strengths are because what you don't want people to do is force it. Because I've seen it when it's forced, especially with footballers, where people are like, it's not their skill set to be brilliant at connecting and they yeah. force it. And the players, like, they roll the eyes. They're almost like, what's yeah. trying to do? Like, <laughs> You know, it's just, it's a natural, because football's like a village, isn't it? They all know each other. Everyone knows this particular yeah. way of behaving at times. And they sense, they sense if someone's not being genuine. So I think you have to be authentic with what you're doing. I don't think you can read the brochure, buy the book, and then just change automatically. It's part of your, you can learn how to, 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 to connect better, of course. But I wouldn't say if, if it's like the lady you mentioned, if her skill set is in that area, then yeah, that's where she's maybe best placed. So Justin, I just want to go to the future now. I'm just going to paint a picture for you. Um, we're, it's in uh, it's in about three World Cups times, or, or maybe from, no four World Cup times. Um, you you've become England manager. <laughs> You're playing four two four. It's the World Cup final. Uh, you've got all out attack. Three of the forwards are your uh, sons, um, and the other one is Michael Owen because it turns out that the coronavirus vaccine actually deages you. So Michael. <laughs> Because I always think Michael Owen is still 17. I still can't believe he's actually retired. So up, up front, you've got you've got your three you've got your three sons and you've got Michael Owen all out attack. Yeah. Um, but for us to for, for you to keep progressing from where from the 17 year old and then you've got this amazing job um, with the England team and then through to coach uh, of the main team. What what do you think you need to do like yourself to keep progressing? Because that, that's the thing that I keep seeing that you keep talking about. You're always learning and progressing. Yeah. Like what? How do you keep making sure that you keep evolving and learning with the next next stages? Well, I think football is always evolving, and as you can see, like there's there's always new concepts, new ideas to learn in football. But I just I'm just like speaking to you and you with us when we were on our walk and speaking about happiness in general. I'm just open to listening from different industries. There's lots of people doing it, doing stuff in different industries that football can learn from. So I'm just open to listening to different people, listening, reading, studying, uh, understanding people better, understanding dynamics better, and just constantly being. Like one of our skills, Matt, for sure, is absorbing. Yeah. In my okay. own, so I'll speak to you and absorb, absorb something. You you'll give me something. I believe you can learn. You can learn anything from anybody, you know. And everywhere, I can't remember the exact term. It's like a stoicism quote, but talking about whoever you whoever you pass whoever you passes whoever you pass by or you can learn any anything from anybody yeah uh, I, I wish i could remember it off the top of my head but i can't but i'm just open to learning all the time and just having an open mindset yeah um justin that's amazing that's the, that's all we wanted to do today is just talk oh, no, about how we can think about the stuff that you've learned in your career and apply, apply it to work um in the final michael owen goes over for a penalty dives and um, and then you have to pick which one of your sons takes the penalty. But I'm not going to make you do that live live on here. <laughs> so, um, Justin, thanks for sharing so much. I've learned, I've learned so much, and thank you on behalf of our listeners. No problem. There's one thing on that penalty. That actually was my son was saw the penalty by Penenka the other day. He's like, oh, what's he done there? So he may attempt the chip, but we'll, I have to I have to make sure that so I'll have to make sure he, he's practiced it beforehand, but. <laughs> If we lost the World Cup final because my son tried a Penenka, oh, God, we'd have to probably move to the Caribbean. Well, I've missed the penalty in front of you in the final of that school. So <laughs> I can, uh, I can, if he misses it, I can uh, talk him through how to get over it. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Justin. Take care. Thank you very much for having me.